Excellent. Well, let's have Justin Buzzard coming up. I'm so excited to have Justin preaching this morning. This guy great. Man, praise the Lord. Go get him in. Great start to preaching. I was uh, I was driving here this morning, uh, picked up my cell phone to give a quick call. Does this thing go up? Yeah. To give a quick phone call to my brother. We were in my wife's minivan, so I didn't have my, uh, my earpiece, and I got pulled over on the way to church. And this just shows you my sinful heart. I said to my wife, because my wife's family's here and they're following us here, I'm like, oh, I could tell them, like, I was telling them, like, you know, how to follow us and all that. She goes, no, take it like a man, be honest. <laughs> and so, yeah, got a ticket, small ticket. He was really nice. My kids had fun seeing the cops up close. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> um, well, I just want to thank you, Mercy Hill Church. You have been so good to me and to my family. Um, you guys have been so great to us as we're, as we're planting this church. And a special thanks to Steve Fuller. Uh, this, I don't know why some people are choosing to like be part of our church. Steve is a far better man, far better leader, far better pastor than me. So he's just been amazing to me. You guys have an amazing lead pastor who's taking such great care of you. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I come from a family of two sons. There's me and my younger brother, Mark. He is three and a half years younger than me. And as my mom was pregnant with my brother, she was trying to prepare me to be an older brother. And she just drilled into me that the job of an older brother is to protect his younger brother. Just drilled this into me. Your job, Justin, is to protect your younger brother, Mark, when he arrives on the scene. And my mom... uh she reinforced this when she brought my brother Mark home from the hospital. Uh, she brought with him a G.I. Joe toy, and she said that it was a toy from him that he brought uh, from inside the womb for me. And so I get my brother Mark, and I get this G.I. Joe, and I'm like, oh, I'll protect this guy, of course. And it wasn't until I was about 10 or 12 years old that I realized that G.I. Joe didn't really come from him, but came from my mom. Older brothers are called to protect their younger brothers. Well, we're looking at a story in the Bible today. We're taking a break from Isaiah. We're looking at a story in the Bible today that also deals with two brothers, that also deals with two sons. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible today, raise your hand. Someone will bring you a Bible. We're looking at Genesis chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And what happens in this story is the older brother does not protect his younger brother. We are only four chapters into the Bible and we have our first murder. The first ever murder in human history. But this story isn't really about murder. This, this story is about two different ways to live. This story is, is about freedom. This story is about the way of Cain, which is a life of, of being a slave and, and separated from God, and the life of Abel, of, of really knowing the true God. And living in freedom with him. And, and, and what I think is our world, even, even our church, is full of canes, and it needs more Abel's. So Genesis chapter 4, let's look at the first five verses. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Okay, verse verse 1. Eve is so happy over the birth of her son. 
She, she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Those of you moms, you've had a son, you've had a daughter before. When that first child came, you were just so ecstatic, so happy. Eve is happy. She has her first son, Cain. Then verse 2, Eve gives birth to a second son, to Abel. Adam and Eve, they now have two sons, Cain and Abel. So they have, they have two sons. Cain is the older brother. Abel is the younger brother. Uh, th- these are sons with two different ages, Cain, the older brother, Abel, the younger brother. We don't know their age difference. Uh, we don't know if Cain was, like me and my brother, three and a half years older. We don't know if there's a five-year age gap. We don't know if there's a one-year age gap. We don't know. Cain is the older brother. They have two different professions, two different callings, two different vocations in life, these brothers. Cain is a farmer. He, he, he works the ground. He takes care of the ground. Abel is a shepherd. He takes care of animals. He takes care of sheep. They have two different names. The name Cain means to, to acquire, to get, to possess. The name Abel means a vapor, a, a, a breath, and it, it's telling of, of his life. It's going to be the short vapor on the earth. And what's incredible about this story is that it's not immediately clear when you first read it why, why God accepts Abel and his offering but does not accept Cain and his offering. You're reading it and you're going, wait, they, they kind of seem like they're doing the same things. I mean, the, t- the text doesn't say that you know, Abel brings his offering to God but Cain's out drunk and not paying his taxes and getting in trouble. These guys, on the outside, they look the same. I mean, they're both doing religious activities. They're both bringing an offering before God. They both go to church. But, but any Israelite who, who was hearing the story, who was reading this passage, w- would have picked up on a huge difference right away. When they heard the story, they would have seen that a, a big difference in these sacrifices because Abel, his sacrifice is it's total. He, he is all in. It's, it's a sacrifice of, of love because, see, there's, there's no instructions yet. This is before the giving of the law. This is before God has given his law to his people. So the, there aren't instructions yet on the different type of sacrifices to bring before God. Uh, where, where grain offerings, you know, you know, all the different types of offerings that God wants from his people. There aren't instructions on that. What this is, it, it's an offering of love. It's an offering of total adoration. It's, it's coming before the living God and saying, I love you. I adore you. I trust you. I'm, I'm laying my stuff down before you because I love you so much. So Abel comes to God with this total obedience. He, he lays it all down before God. Verse 4 says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So that means he, he, he brings God his best. The firstborn of his flock, the, his firstborn sheep, the one that's his prized possession. And, and their fat portions, the, the juicy meat, the good stuff. He doesn't go to God and lay on the altar his scrawny little kind of reject lamb. No, he, he goes and he brings before God his best, his very best, and lays it before God. Cain, Cain gives God his scraps. He holds back. He's operating out of unbelief. Verse 3, it says that he brought to the Lord an offering of fruit. Abel put it all on the altar. He gave God his best. Cain comes to God and gives him a few pieces of fruit. Why the difference? Why the difference between these two brothers? I mean, they're brothers. They come from the same family. They're they're similar guys. Why, Why such a huge difference in how they relate to God and approach God? 
Well, well, the key to understanding this passage is Hebrews chapter 11. You don't, you don't need to turn there. You can if you want. But Hebrews chapter 11, some of you, you know this chapter well. It's the great hall of faith. It's this chapter of the Bible that highlights these people who demonstrated such great faith in God. They're known for their incredible faith. Well, who's the first person mentioned in that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? It's Abel. And in this great hall of faith, people known for their faith, known for the radical freedom they enjoyed in God, first person mentioned is Abel. And this is what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, says about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. It says he gave God a more acceptable sacrifice. And that's a translation of just one Greek adjective, pleon, which means, it just means more. He, he gave God a more sacrifice. Came, uh, Abel came to God and he gave God a more sacrifice. Keep this in mind, a more sacrifice. Well, what, is, what is a sacrifice? We've, we've all made sacrifices in life before. Let, let's define the word sacrifice. A sacrifice is when you give up something valuable for something more valuable. You, you give up something that is valuable to you because you see, you believe, you think that there is something more valuable that you're in pursuit of. Right? So, so I left a church up on the peninsula that I loved and that loved me. Well taken care of. Great salary. Great office. Great perks. Everyone liked me. Everyone... Loved me. It was a great place. I left that, something that's valuable valuable to me that I treasured, because I thought, God, you're calling me to plant a church in San Jose, and I see what you can do. It does not exist yet, but I think you can transform lives there and build a great church. A sacrifice is leaving something that's valuable to you for something that you perceive as being more valuable. To Abel, Abel comes to God. And he gave up his most valuable resource. He laid it on the altar because he valued God more. Abel worshipped God, not his work. Abel's a shepherd. He tends to these animals. And he takes the very best of his work, the very best of his animals, the very best of his resources, and he has no problem laying on the altar before God because he worships God. He doesn't worship his stuff. He doesn't worship his work. The, the Christian life is really about, it's about two T's. Think of the letter T. It's about two T's. What you trust and what you treasure. The Christian life comes down to two T's. What you trust and what you treasure. To be in a relationship with the living God, to know God, as it's portrayed in the Bible, isn't just to say, yeah, I know God. No, it means that you, you trust him more than you trust anyone or anything else. And it means you treasure him more than you treasure anyone or anything else. He is your greatest treasure. He is of greatest value to you. And you trust him more than you trust anything else. So, so who or what do you put your trust in? Who or what receives the greatest level of your trust? And who or what do you treasure the most in life? Jesus, there's a story from Jesus' life. There's this offering box. This offering box in the temple. 
And all the rich and religious leaders are, are, are walking through and they're coming by this offering box and they're, they're putting a lot of money in the offering box. But then this widow comes by the offering box. And she, and she puts in this offering box two small copper, copper coins, just the equivalent of a penny. It's, it's all that she had to live on. And Jesus looks at her, what she did, and he uses the same Greek word, and he says, this woman, she gave a more sacrifice. She gave a more sacrifice. Those other people, they put more money in, but she gave a more sacrifice. She put in all she had to live on. These rich people, they gave some money. They were doing their religious duties. They looked so great putting all this money in the offering box. But the widow gave more. She gave all she had because she was in love. In love with God. She trusted him. She had a different trust and a different different treasure. She could put it all on the altar. See, Abel and the widow, they put it all on the altar because they loved God with all their heart. They were in love with God. And this is what you do when you are in love. You live, you live and you love with abandon like that. You can lay it all down. So, so let's ask ourselves, what does your relationship with God look like? Can you, can you, can you put it all on the altar? Can you lay it all down? Or have you maybe started to lose your first love? Have you begun to trust and to treasure something else? Or maybe you're hearing about God, hearing about Jesus for the first time, and you've always trusted and treasured something else, and you don't know what it means to trust and to treasure God. Let's let's continue with the story. Go back to verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he, God, had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So here, here's the difference between these two brothers. Abel is a lover. He loves God. That's what his relationship with God is like. Cain, Cain is a calculator. He, he's calculating always, calculating things. Abel loves God. Abel the shepherd gives God his best. Cain calculates. Cain the farmer calculates how much fruit can I spare for God? How much do I hold on to and how many apples can I give to God? Cain worships his work, not his God. For Cain, work is his keeper, not God. He, he trusts in his work. He trusts in his stuff. He trusts in his resources to take care of him and provide for him, not in God to do it. What you trust, and get this, what you trust the most in life and what you treasure the most in life will control you. Where you place your greatest trust and where you place your greatest treasure, that will control and that will govern your life. Cain trusts and treasures his work, his stuff, and it controls him. He can't give it up. He's standing before the living God who gave him life and he can't give his stuff up because he trusts it more than he trusts God. Verse 5, God is not pleased with Cain. He is not pleased with Cain's offering. And Cain is angry. It says that Cain's face falls. Are you a calculator? Or are you a lover? Is there something that has become too important to you? Too valuable to you? Too much of a treasure that you can never see yourself giving it up? Surrendering it to God? Putting it on the altar? Jesus, there's another story from Jesus' life of this woman. And this woman has, has this jar 
It's a, it's a treasure of hers. And inside this jar is this expensive ointment, this expensive perfume that smells so good. And, and it's the equivalent of nine months worth of wages in this jar. She has this jar, and this woman has an encounter with Jesus. And she sees Jesus for who he is. And she sees Jesus' love for her, and she loves Jesus. And she breaks her jar, and she pours the ointment all out over Jesus. Why could she do that? Because she was in love. Jesus had become her treasure, so she didn't think twice of, of getting rid of this other treasure. She knew that Jesus was enough. What's in your jar? Maybe you have a jar. Some kind of jar. What's in that? This, this costly treasure of yours, and it's become so valuable. You could never do what that woman did. You could never see yourself breaking it and, and, and pouring it out. You have to have that thing to be okay. What would it take? I mean, what, what, what would it take for you to, you know what's in that jar, what would it take for you to just break it and, and lay it before God and say, God, I love you more. You're more valuable than this. What would have to happen to you? What would have to happen to your heart? What would have to happen to your brain for you to be able to do that? I mean, Cain and Abel, these guys, they had, they had different eyes as they approached God. They saw something different that allowed them to, to live in, a, in two radically different ways. What we're talking about this morning is dangerous. What we're talking about this morning is dangerous. Do you know what happens to a person? Do you know what happens to a human heart? And to that person and to people around that person, when you follow Cain's path, look at verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin wants to control Cain. Sin wants to control Cain. That's what sin does. Sin becomes a force in your life, a presence in your life, a deadly cancer that spreads and destroys and takes over, that ruins you. How, how do you view sin? We live. We, we have these cats in our backyard. We, we man, we love. We have a backyard now. We have we have three sons, and we've spent the last four years in a tiny condo where one boy slept in the bathroom. And like now, we have this house with a backyard, and we feel like we're rich and famous. It's amazing. We have these cats in our backyard. There's like five of them. They're not ours. I hate cats. I'm a dog guy. But we have like five cats, neighborhood cats. Um, they come and they roam around our backyard and my two-year-old especially loves these cats and chases after these cats. And like 95% of the time, these cats are harmless. They're cute. They're cuddly. He, Hudson walks over to them and he pets them and he loves it and he has so much fun. But once in a while, those cats get a little vicious. They get a little feisty. They kind of show their claws and show their fangs and they, and they scare my son. Some of us view sin like that. It's a cute little thing that we can kind of cuddle up next to. We can do a little sin. We can engage in a little bit of sin, but yeah, once in a while you've got to watch out. But for the most part, sin's pretty harmless. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what this text teaches. It says, God says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It's a wild beast that is out to hurt you. 1 Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour what sin might be crouching at your door? Crouching in your heart. 
wandering around in your backyard. See, it, if you've begun to trust and to treasure something more than God, that is sin. And it will destroy you. It's a bloodthirsty lion that wants to eat you. 500 years ago, theologian John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Kill the lion or the lion's going to kill you. There's a bloodthirsty lion out to get you. If you don't kill him, he's going to kill you. But you know what? God's grace amazes me. God's grace amazes me because look at what he does in this text. He, he is gently trying to talk Cain out of his sin. God talks to Cain. He pursues Cain. He comes to Cain and he's, and he's trying to talk him out of it. Out of his sin. But Cain, Cain, Cain won't hear any of it. He won't let God talk him out of it. Verses 8 through 10. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Cain does not master sin. Sin masters Cain. And Cain, the elder brother, the one who was supposed to protect his younger brother, commits the first murder in human history. And the first murder in human history is of an elder brother killing his younger brother. Brother, the text wants to make it so clear. The word brother shows up seven times in these ten verses. The first ever murders the elder brother killing his younger brother. With that one act, one-fourth of the world's population is wiped out. And can you imagine the horror of Adam and Eve seeing what their sin has led to? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And they felt the pain and the shame and the guilt of that. And it passed on to their kids. And their oldest kid killed their youngest kid. That's what sin does. Cain failed to be his brother's keeper. The elder brother, Cain, failed to be his brother's keeper. This is what human relationships were supposed to be. We were supposed to keep one another. That's what human relationships were supposed to be like. That's what families are supposed to be like. That's what the church is supposed to be like. We're supposed to keep one another. Look out for one another. Care for one another. Protect one another. Not kill each other. So God pursues Cain with questions. Once again, God comes to Cain in pursuit. God knows the answer to these questions. Why does he ask these questions? These are opportunities for Cain to take responsibility and to repent. Yes, officer, I was talking on my cell phone. (laughs) To own it and take responsibility and be a man. Like my wife said, take it like a man. So God pursues Cain with questions. Where is Abel your brother? What have you done? But Cain refuses to repent. This man's heart has grown too hard. He has a hard heart. He's just killed his brother. God is talking to him. He has an opportunity to repent. He will not do it. All Cain says is, I don't know what happened to him. Am I my brother's keeper? On the outside, Cain looked like a good guy. He went to church. He tucked his shirt in. He, he's doing the, all the religious activities. 
But inside, this man was far from God. He had a hard heart. There was a different reality going on in his heart. He did not trust God. He did not treasure God. Cain trusted in and treasured something other than God, and it destroyed him, and it destroyed his brother. He sees the freedom his brother Abel has, and the acceptance his brother Abel has in God, and he doesn't like it, he wants to snuff it out, and he did. This text isn't about Cain and Abel. It's about us. It's about our lives. Are you free? What trust and what treasure is ruling and governing your life? Who is your keeper? And for some of us, for some of us it's work. We get our identity from our work. We trust our work and we treasure our work. That's where we build our identity. For some of you it's your money. It's how much money you make, it's how much money's in your bank account, it's how much money's in your 401k. For some of us, it's our success and our achievements. For some of us, it's our reputation and what other people think about us. We really need lots of human approval. For some of us, it's, it's, it's another human relationship, this other brother, this other sister, this someone we, we, we just have built our life upon. And maybe now we're in a place where we're seeing that that it's not going to hold. It's not going to keep us like we thought. It's not as trustworthy as we thought. It's not as valuable, not as great of a treasure as we thought. And Satan loves to trick us. Satan, sin is so destructive. and Satan gets us to settle for that? Satan gets us to settle for living a life here in the South Bay where we are going to build our life on our work or on our money rather than on the living God? He wants us enslaved to that rather than free? People who trust God radically? You will not, I will not, we will not experience true freedom in our life until we meet the elder brother who will keep us, who will take care of us, who will be our, our keeper. Psalm 121. Don't turn there. I just want you to hear this. Psalm 121 is a psalm that that looks back on Genesis chapter 4 and what happened there. And it looks forward to the Savior, the elder brother who would come and who would keep us. Psalm 121. Just, Just hear part of the psalm. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Lift up your eyes to the hills. Lift up your eyes to the hills with me. Lift up your eyes to that one great hill. Calvary. See what happened there. There is Jesus. There is your elder brother. There is the Son of God. He went to the cross for you. He hung there. This elder brother laid it all on the altar for you. He left heaven. He left the presence of his Father. He was mocked and ridiculed. 
And he goes to the cross, stripped naked, bears the wrath of God, is separated from the Father, so that you could be reconciled to the Father. He loves you like that. This elder brother will keep you. You can trust an elder brother who went this distance for you. There's this crazy verse. Crazy verse in the Bible. It's about our passage. Hebrews 12, verse 24 says this. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I don't know about you. I didn't know that blood speaks. That blood has a voice. We have come to the blood of Jesus and this blood speaks and this blood says you are forgiven. You are set free. You have a Savior who loves you and went to incredible lengths to live for you and die for you and rise again for you. So won't you trust Him with everything? See, the the world says, even some churches say, religion says, that you have to keep yourself that you have to manage your own life. That, that, that God's not really in control, so you better be in control. The gospel gives us the best news in the world. And it, you guys, the gospel is even better than we think it is. The more we grow in Christ, the more we're going to just see this and savor this. The, the, the gospel says, you have an elder brother named Jesus. He went to these great links for you on the cross. The Lord is your keeper. Jesus put it all on the altar for you, so you can trust him with abandon. If he did that for you, you can trust him for everything. He will take care of you. You can live free. People will tell you you're stupid. They'll tell you you're foolish to live free like this. I don't know how many people told me I was an idiot for leaving my great job on the peninsula to come and do this church plant thing. And how many people still do? Christian people will even tell you that. I say you're smart. I say you're trusting the only one that you can truly trust when you lay it all on the altar before God. And what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Let's just think about worst case scenario. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? If you took that stuff that's become too important to you and you laid it all on the altar before God and you followed him, someone could kill you and you could die. What happened to Abel could happen to you. And you get to be with Jesus sooner. So what? And live with him. That's the worst that can happen. It's not that bad. (laughs) So you guys, God God is calling some of you to a new beginning today. To a new start. To a new chapter in your life. You've maybe been following the path of Cain and not even known it. Sin has has gotten a foothold in your life. It's, It's been trying to master you. And you don't really know what it's like to live free. See, something, something magical happens when, when, we, when we lay things on the altar before God. Throughout the Old Testament, whenever, whenever people came and laid a sacrifice before God, that sacrifice, whatever it was, an, an animal, food, fruit, it, it, it was transformed. It was laid on the altar, and, it's, and the texts always say that it became a pleasing aroma up to God. When you put it all on the altar, you discover something. When you lay that stuff down that's been ruling your life, you, you discover something. You, you get set free. You discover, the way my friend puts it, is you discover that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You discover that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
You discover that you can live in this whole new way. You can live and you can love in this whole new way because you already have everything you need in Jesus. You already have everything you need in God. And so the other stuff doesn't, doesn't, that's not where you get your identity anymore. It doesn't rule you. It doesn't govern you. You're free because you have Jesus. And this is life God created us to live. This is how God created us to live. This is what he created in the garden. This is what he's been doing through, through sending the prophets and sending Jesus to, to rescue and redeem us. He created us to live a life, men and women, a life of total trust and total dependence on him where we're radically free and we trust our Father and we believe Him and we take Him at His word and, and we're okay. We live with that total dependence upon Him like, like a baby. And we go to God each morning, we wake up and we're like, I'm just, I'm just a baby, you're God, you're my Father, I trust you. Just take care of me. That's how He created us to live. So, so will you trust Him? Will, will you put it all on the altar? <laughs> because His love has, has done something to your heart. And you can't help it. You, you see what he's done for you and he loves you and, you and you really get it and you really believe it. It's not just in your head, but it's in your heart and you, and you feel it and, it and it's in your veins and so you can't help it. See, I, I think that Cain and Abel had different eyes. I really think these two brothers, I really think they saw differently. They had different, they had different eyes. It, as he approached the altar, I think that Cain... I think that all Cain saw, I think he was so focused on what he was giving up. I think that's all he could see. He could just see what he was giving up. And I think as Abel approached the altar, all he could see was, was who he was giving to. His eyes were on the hills. He was focused on who he was giving to. Cain's eyes were focused on what he was giving up. Cain couldn't see it. But Abel could see it. Abel could see God. Abel could see his true keeper who would keep him, who would take care of him. Here's this sermon in a sentence. So if you go home and you're having coffee at 3 p.m., you're like, what was that sermon about? Here it is in a sentence. Put it all on the altar because the Lord is your keeper. Put it all on the altar because the Lord is your keeper. And all it takes is faith to do this. You don't have to go out and you know, get super spiritual to do this. It just takes faith. Not faith in yourself, faith in God. J.I. Packer once said that, that there's two kinds of people in life. There's big godders and small godders. There's big godders, people who believe in a really big God who can do anything because he's God. And there's people who are small godders. They live their whole life thinking God is pretty small. And you should never really trust him for a whole lot because he's a small God. Are you a big godder or are you a small godder? How will your life speak? The, the, the verse we already looked at, Hebrews 11.4, says that Abel, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. How does your life speak right now? How will your life speak once you die? Will people say, yeah, he was, he was a small godder? Or will they say, he was a big godder? God was big to him. And he trusted him. Put it all on the altar because the Lord is your keeper. And I want to urge you to put your excuse, your handicap on that altar. I have observed in my own life and in the lives of people that I've pastored that the hardest thing to put on that altar for people is their excuse, their handicap. 
There's some excuse, maybe, that you've used a lot in your life and you've thought, I could never live free and trust God like that and God could never use me because of this. This excuse you always go back to. It's some handicap you always go back to. It's maybe some, some past failure or sin in your life. It's maybe some weakness in yourself that you're aware of. It's maybe some circumstance in your life that you don't like. And that's the one thing that you just think, I couldn't really give that to God. I couldn't really trust him for that. He couldn't really use me. But if you, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, and if you go back through the Bible, and if you read through church history, and if you look at the people who God used the most in life, the, the, the people who were the most free, and who were big godders, they were the people who had a big fat excuse, a big fat handicap, and they laid it on the altar before God, and God transformed it. So I'm going to go through a list right now of some people who, who had big excuses. And they laid these things on the altar before God. And God transformed them and God used them. And I'm going I'm to read this and I want you to know that your excuse is somewhere on this list. That thing that you've used before in the past, that's somewhere in here. That's somewhere on the list. Consider what God can do. We want to be big godders here in San Jose. San Jose needs it. San Jose has seen a lot of small godders for a lot of years. Needs to see big godders. So think about the life of Abraham. Abraham was a wimp. Abraham was a man who two times radically failed, who put his wife's life, wife's life on the line instead of his own. He was a wimp. He was a coward. He was able to lay that on the altar before God. And God radically used him. Sarah, his wife, was way too old. She just thought God could never really have a baby come through her. God could never really use her. Well, look what happened. Rahab was a prostitute. She was also the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a liar. Deceitful man. Liar. He laid that on the altar. God transformed him. Leah wasn't very good looking. Wasn't as good looking as her sister. God used her. Joseph. Joseph was abused. Some of you have been abused. You come from terrible families. Look what happened in Joseph's life. When he's a teenager, all of his brothers betray him, want to kill him. He he gets exiled to a far off land. He keeps getting thrown in pits. He keeps getting betrayed, separated from his family forever. Horrible family situation. Horribly abused. Look what God did with his life. Moses couldn't speak well. He said, God, I can't talk. I stutter. How could I ever talk in front of people? What God did with him. Gideon. Gideon was afraid. So afraid, so ruled by fear, and he came from a bad family, and he said, God, you can never use me. God did. Samson had a sexually immoral past. Look at what God did with him. Naomi was a widow. God used her. Timothy was just way too young. Too young. I'm too young. No one's going to listen to me. I can't be used by you. God used him. David was an adulterer and a murderer. And he found grace and redemption and God used him. Elijah was suicidal. God pulled him out of that. Jonah ran from God. God said, go this way. Jonah went that way. 
And God got a hold of him and used him. The woman at the well had a divorce in her past. Job. Job lost everything. His kids all died. He lost all his money. He lost all his stuff. His, his friends didn't care for him. They betrayed him. His wife said, curse God and die. Look how God used Job. Martha was a worrier. Any Marthas in here? Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Denied Jesus. Look at what God went on to do with his life. Paul. Paul was just too religious. Too religious of a guy. God transformed him. Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? He was too short. God used him. And Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. Did that stop God? Put it all on the altar. Give him your whole life. Don't hold back. You will not be free until you surrender everything to our big God. He will keep you. He will take what you put on that altar and he will radically transform it into something beautiful. This world, the city of San Jose, our churches are full of canes and they need Abel's. Let me pray for us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord is your keeper. In Jesus' name, amen.